good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 13 of the Well-Read Podcast. For those of you who are new here, welcome. I am your host, Megan Bjerke, aka The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. Normally, there is a segment where I review the books I've read for the past week, but because this is a special extra-long episode, let's just jump right in. My first guest today is the best-selling fantasy author of the Five Crowns of Oakrith series, and the first of their second series, A River of Golden Bones, was released earlier this month. Originally self-published, their first book, The High Mountain Court, went viral on social media, and she now has a publishing contract with one of the biggest publishers in the world. Inspired to create diverse stories that transport readers to new realms, she strives to make readers fall in love with fantasy, either for the first time or all over again. Please welcome the incredible A.K. Mulford. Well, Allie, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you, too. I'm very excited to talk to you about your Five Crowns of Okrith. That's how you say it, right? Mm -hmm. Okrith series. And your new series that's coming out soon. Um, But how did you you become a writer? We're going to start off Mm -hmm. with that question because it's always different for everyone. I think like a lot of people, I was always a writer. Like that was my first love, really. Like I think as a kid, it was the way I made sense of the world. I always wanted to be in other worlds and creating stories and making characters and reading things that I couldn't find in the library. And um, uh, yeah, by the time I was in middle school, I was writing like full length (laughs) novels just in notebooks. just for fun. Um, And I thought, you know, my my parents actually thought that I would be an author and I thought I couldn't do it. (laughs) I would never put my writing out there. And I thought, oh, I should do something more sensible. So I became a biologist, um, you know, because I thought I could have a guaranteed job, you know, being so I was a wildlife biologist for many years. But even then living in the jungle, I would still be like filling notebooks with stories. partially because, you know, we had a like a take a book, leave a book shelf that was pretty sparse. And so I needed to create my my own entertainment. But I I think it's one of those things that I can't not do. You know, it's just like one of those things that um I have to do. <laughs> I can't help but write. Uh, and so, yeah, so I've always been writing and it wasn't until the pandemic, really. And I think Um, a lot of people felt this way where we felt like we needed to create something and do something creative um, in this time of like lots of stress, you know, and I think that creativity and art is a great way to like funnel that kind of overwhelm into something like beautiful and productive, Um, you know, so it started off as like gardening and sourdough and slowly morphed into publishing. Um, And that's when I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm really going to put these stories out into the world. Yeah. And you started traditionally published or not traditionally published, sorry, independently published, correct? Yeah. yeah. And how, how did you trans transition from being independently published to getting a contract and now being traditionally published by one of the biggest publishing houses in the world? Like how, how did that transition happen? 
it's been a journey. It's been a whirlwind. Um, yeah, so um, The High Mountain Court I and The Witch's Blade, my first two books in um, the Five Crown series, um, I self-published. And The High Mountain Court started doing well straight away, self-published, and um, was, you know, got a lot of momentum and a lot of attention. And um, uh, my agent actually found me. Uh, I had a few agents starting to reach out to me about representing me um through the success of that series um so I never had to like query or you know find someone which is wonderful <laughs> and um uh my wonderful agent Jess was like um have you thought about traditionally publishing and I knew I always wanted to be a hybrid author and both self-publish and traditionally publish that was kind of my long-term goal was to always do both um and she asked me if I wanted to sell my current series and I said let me let me write you a new series let me write you a new book that you can shop around um and so it was actually a river of golden bones that we were first taking out on submission to different houses um, and when that got picked up by Harper Voyager, they said, you know, are you interested in selling your current series too? And so then it all kind of happened at once. Both series got sold at the same time. So, yeah. And A River of Golden Golden Bones, that's the one that's coming out soon. Yeah, uh, December 5th. How has it been transitioning from a series that you've spent years writing, you know, and you're the last book is going to come out, I think, this next year, correct? In 2024? Yeah, in May 2024, yeah. How has it been transitioning to a series that's, you know, you've spent years of your life on to now starting this brand new series? It's interesting because actually timeline-wise, A River of Golden Bones was the third book that I wrote. So I wrote the first two books in my series, and then I paused to write this book for my agent to shop around. Um, so actually, it was kind of funny, like coming back and revisiting this book that I had written so long ago, um, and then picking that up and, and kind of diving in. So I was kind of writing both series simultaneously for a while, which was a little bit tricky because the Five Crowns is in third person and A River of Golden Bones is in first person. And so there was a lot of kind of like hopping back and forth in my mind, trying to like keep the POV straight. Um, but yeah, I kind of, you know, I, I finished writing the Five Crown series a while ago now. So, um, but it, you know, it's, it takes a while to produce and come out and things like that. So I've kind of like in my, my head, I've kind of moved on from that series and now I'm focusing on this new Golden Court trilogy. But yeah, no, it's been good. I think, you know, I have ADHD. I like shiny new projects. <laughs> and so I'm always eager to jump on to like the next thing, the next world and stuff like that. So it's been good. Yeah. I understand that personally. I, I completely understand that. <laughs> How was it? You said that, you know, your last book in the Oak Earth series has been done for a while. How was it kind of saying goodbye to that world? Because you've spent, like I kind of said earlier, several years with that with that world and those characters how was it kind of saying goodbye to them yeah it was hard it was bittersweet you know because in a way I was like happy to kind of conclude that world and move on to other things but I was also kind of sad that like this was the last kind of adventure <clears throat> in that world and um and the epilogue at the end of book five like definitely made me cry you know <laughs> just makes me is that is it weird 
that that just makes me more excited to read it now. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing that you had that reaction. It's emotional. To it. Yeah. So um yeah, you know, like you want to like give everyone like a good send off in a way and make it epic. And you hope that I, I, I think endings are really hard, especially for longer series, because you want it to be cathartic and like satisfying. Um, but because each story is also kind of like a, a little bit of a standalone in that each book is its own main character. Um, I think also it kind of just concludes that story like a little bit more organically so yeah I hope people enjoy it and I'm you know, sure they will cry it's, <laughs> cry it's a great end. series and yes I will totally when I read the epilogue I'll be like she was crying when she wrote this <laughs> yeah. this is so sad <laughs> so obviously I haven't I haven't read Golden Bones and you know the first book of that is coming out but in your Oakworth series each book focuses on a different character Yes. Why did you decide to do that? Because a lot of series, I mean, you're a writer, reader, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of series, they stick with one or maybe two characters and they're the main characters throughout the whole series. What made you want to specifically say, no, each book, a different character is getting their own story and their own happy ending? Yeah, I think you see that style more with contemporary romance where it's like, you know, like a sports team and each one yeah. has their own story or something like that. You don't see it as often in fantasy. Um, but for me, I mean, like part of it was selfish in that, like once the characters fall in love uh, and ha are happy, like I don't care anymore <laughs> what they're up to. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I've read a lot of fantasy romance books where the first book is a love story. And then the second, third, fourth, however many books are just kind of those characters going through other external things and mm -hmm. their romance doesn't evolve or develop at all. Like it's just kind of like spicy scenes while they're battling things. Yeah. And, um, and that didn't really necessarily interest me too much. You know, it's like um, my favorite part of romance is the falling in love part. So I wanted each story to have a falling in love moment, you know? And also I wanted um, it like that story was kind of happening in a linear fashion where each character was getting their kind of like moment in a different court. And so it would have been harder to like keep multiple characters, like storylines happening at once. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to kind of shine a spotlight on each character in the story. Yeah. I really like that observation because I've never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. The first book is usually the love story. And then, you know, if they still stay together, it continues, but that's not the main focus. That's interesting. I really like yeah. that. I've never thought about that. So A River of Golden Bones is going to be a different, like, kind of method <laughs> writing. So the, um, like, I'm adding a POV character each book. So it's a trilogy. Ooh. And, um, you know, like, I think a lot of people really wanted to stay with the main character from the first book in the High Mountain Court. And so this way, I'm kind of doing both where you get a new love story, but you also get kind of an evolution of the love story from the first book, too. Um, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. <laughs> I love that. I really like that. Why was it important to you to have romance and to have happy endings mm -hmm. in your fantasy books? Because I mean, obviously, the worlds that you've created you know, the ones I've read, you know, out of the Oakworth series, there's such a wonderful and unique fantasy world. And the world building is amazing. So what made you go? No, these characters are going to get 
romance and I I want that in these stories. Yeah, well, I mean, it's my favorite thing to write. And I think also um, relationships and feelings are like the kind of like backbone of what I love to write. And um, I think there's something beautiful about like these really intimate kind of quiet moments with the backdrop of something epic like you know fantasy is so big right you know there's like monsters and battles and magic and all of these really huge elements and I feel like it almost kind of creates an even more honest reality than contemporary romance does in a way because um, it really highlights those really quiet moments and those kind of like soft connections between people. Like at the end of the day, they might be battling dragons, but they're also just trying to figure out how to say I love you to each other, you know? And I kind of, I kind of love that. I love playing with like these really big themes with these really small ones too. Are you also a romance reader or are you? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, like pretty much, oh, almost always, there's a few books that are the exception, but most of the time, if it doesn't have even a romance subplot, I don't want to read it. I'm the exact (laughs) same way. Exact same way. There needs to be something. There's been, there's been so many times when I've been reading a book and it's like, you know, a thriller or something. And I'm like, just kiss or like, give me something. (laughs) Just give me something, man. I need some sort of like relationship moment, you know? Um, I think we all know the feeling of watching like all of these fantasy TV shows and stuff and just getting the breadcrumbs of like maybe one kiss or one romantic moment. And I'm like, so desperate for Hollywood to start shifting into more romantic based fantasies because the audience would be massive like there's so many people who really really want to spend more time on the kind of more intimate romantic like settings than the the just epic battles you know it's still very male gaze all of the fantasy that is out now it is and like me personally I love romance and I was the same way. Like now that I look back on the books I used to read as a kid, I mean, obviously the romance that I read as a kid is a lot different than the romance that I read now. I'm I'm just going to yeah. preface that. But <laughs> like, I always had to have some kind of romantic interest to find the book interesting and for it to keep my, my interest. And like, if there were, like you said, more movies, more TV shows that focused more on the romanticy part of it, Mm-hmm. like you said there would be so many fans of that because like, yeah. I read fantasy to escape everything that's exactly. going on yeah. in my life and if there's romance in there and it's a happy ending and you know these people are gonna have happy endings it just makes it in my opinion much more worth watching that makes yes, sense totally I mean you look at the success of like Bridgerton and shows like that and like people want the romance you know it's like it's very clear that people are hanging out for that but I I do think like for us too like in the same way that I think some people find epic battles very satisfying to watch the idea of like two people trying to figure out how to connect with each other and like longing and yearning and not being able to um that's like the most satisfying part for a lot of us too is those kind of like relationship connections and I think there's a lot of um safety in the escapism of romance too because you know what 
the outcomes are going to be in a way that like makes it very easy to kind of read and fall into and escape into. And so um, I think for a lot of us who live in a world where even with our long-term partners, you know, like we're, oh, there's always that kind of like, you know, it, it are there soulmates? Is this the one? <laughs> you know, like, are we struggling day to day? There's like, you know, there's all of these things that um, a lot of, you know, question marks in the real world that don't exist in fantasy, especially with the faded mates trope. I think there's something that is inherently satisfying for a lot of people who, especially like neurodivergent people and people with decision fatigue <laughs> are just like, wouldn't it be great if somebody was like the, the, you know, magic has decided that this is, this is the person for you and you're always going to be madly, madly in love with each other. You know, um, I think that that's just like such a fun trope to play around with, you know? <laughs> is that your favorite trope? Um, What's your think, favorite trope? I think my favorite trope is probably found family. Like that is, that is the one that I don't think I could write a story without. Like there's always got to be that element of um, kind of the team rallying behind someone, you know, and like, um, I think I t have a tendency, this is probably because I'm neurodivergent, but also because I've lived in a lot of other countries. I don't, um, you know, like, I don't really sound like I live in Australia, you know, and I am definitely like clocked as a foreigner here. But when I go back to the States, I also don't fit in there now because I've lived away for so long and I don't use all the same words and I don't remember certain things like culturally and stuff. Um, and so it's like there's nowhere I can really go where I 100% fit in. You know, I'm always a little bit of an outsider to all of these other groups. And then you add like neurodivergency and like queerness and all sorts of other things on top of that. And um and so I have a tendency to write these characters who are kind of outsiders who um, always feel like they don't really fit in in anywhere. And um, and then they find other people who feel the same and kind of like they form their own community of kind of like outsiders, this like friend group and learn that they can actually like trust people and ask for help and that there's going to be people who will show up for them and it's okay to not do everything on your own and I think that pretty much all of my stories have that theme to some degree yeah so yeah well and that's just one of the many reasons why I enjoy your books is because of that aspect because as someone who I'm an introvert okay it takes yeah. a lot for me to make friends with people you know, I don't let people into my life very easily. And to have, you know, characters and worlds where these people, they finally can find someone and find other people who accept them for who they inherently are, and they love mm -hmm. them for it. It's just, it's such a good feeling to read about mm -hmm. characters like that, which is just mm -hmm. another reason, like I said, why I love your books, because it's true. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's just, it's, it makes me warm and fuzzy inside in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, I think we, I mean, don't we all love that, the, that feeling of, you know, the person you can call at any time of day and they'll just be at your door with a shovel, you know? Like, yes, like absolutely. Those friends who are just like, no questions asked are there for you. And, um, and I love the, you know, when uh, other characters will like, 
just it's not a question they'll drop anything to be with that person when they're good you know and I think uh in the Ockworth series like everybody just like takes turns with that too like um everybody at some point is the hero and everybody at some point is the character who needs the backup so yeah (laughs) so I want to ask do you believe in soulmates I don't I well actually no that's not true I believe in soulmates but I don't believe in like a singular soulmate you know like I I know where you're going with this but yes explain I feel like I have a lot of like soulmates and I feel like I have a lot of platonic soulmates too like there's certain people like friends in my life who I met and instantly was like I'm hanging on to you forever you know you're not getting rid of me yeah 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 like you're my person I just know it you know and and I feel like that there's actually just certain people that you just instantly connect with and you know that they're just going to be in your life forever. Um, And then there's like people who might be like that seasonally too, you know, like people for like a decade of your life are are kind of your ride or die person that maybe the next decade aren't, you know, so I so yes I believe in that kind of like soul connection that something like cosmically like ties you with other people but I don't think it's like necessarily singular and I agree with that because I saw of course it was on social media I don't know like a year ago where someone was talking about that where they're like there's different kinds of soulmates. There's your friend soulmate yeah. who you meet. And like you said, there's that instant connection. There can be a, you know, a love and relationship soulmate. There's different, there can be like your work soulmate, you know, where mm-hmm. again, you meet yeah. someone at work and you're like, dude, you can never quit. <laughs> Obviously yeah. you can never quit as long yeah. as I'm here. <laughs> if you, you know? go, I go. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if, if you leave, I'm, I'm gone. Like I can't stay yeah. here without yeah. you. So I understand <laughs> that. And I, I appreciate that answer. And I, I, I completely agree. I think it's the same. I think it's the same thing. Uh, You spoke a little bit about like you being neurodivergent Mm -hmm. and queer and in your books, inclusivity and diversity is such a big part of your books, whether it's where the person has come from, you know, their past, you know, their identity, whatever it is. Why is it so important to you to create these characters and to have these characters out in the world? Yeah, well, I mean, like, I, it really started from like a very specific moment of like, all of my friends and I sitting around in a cafe, the Lord of the Rings had just come out, we were all like obsessed. And we were all saying how like, none of us felt like we could see ourselves in that story in those worlds. And like, we loved it. But like, we didn't feel like we could identify with any of the characters, you know. And I remember thinking like, you know, looking around the table to all of my friends who all were, you know, like, and are so diverse and just like not being represented and just kind of being like, if ever I publish, you're all coming with me, you know, like, you're all going to be like, the main characters, the heroes of the story, you won't have to like, try and pretend that you're like, a blonde haired man, (laughs) elf man, (laughs) to, to be able to see yourself in these stories. And um, and I know what it feels like to not be able to relate to a character and only maybe get one, maybe two stories a year that are the stories that you feel like you can deeply connect with. And what I would have given to be like in university and walk into a bookstore and pick up a book like The Evergreen Air and be like, wow, like, holy crap, like this is me, you know? Um, 
so yeah like for me it's um I've had the opportunity and been given a platform where I can share stories to a wide audience and I feel like I'd almost be doing myself and my readers a disservice if I wasn't being like honest and authentic with like the characters that I write and bringing kind of some realness to the world, even in a fantastical way. So, yeah. What do you think readers in the publishing world do well when it comes to, or are doing better, I guess we'll word it that way, when it comes to diversity in what's something that you think publishers and readers can do more of to support to continue to support diversity and to make sure it continues to happen in books yeah well I mean I think looking at own voices stories <clears throat> finding authors that you can uplift and support um looking at like diversity of characters and the authors writing them that like I think um, actually, Taika Waititi had this really great speech about this recently about how a lot of um, like shows and movies right now are being created with a sense of diversity where there's like one person of like every race is in the cast, but it's still a story being written and told by like a white director and a white um, writers. And they think that that's an example of diversity versus, you know, like having a Polynesian director or like a Maori like screenwriter who's writing a story that like the cast is all Maori like that actually is um way more meaningful for diversity I think than trying to just be have like a token character to tick a diversity box in every story that you're telling um so looking more shifting into that kind of diversity diversity of voice, diversity of storytellers, um, experiences. Um, I feel like that's the direction we need to head more. Like for me, I feel like within queer stories and queer spaces, like I can speak for myself. I feel like I kind of exist under this very like niche part of the rainbow community that often doesn't get represented and is almost like less palatable to big publishers and people, which is why it was so incredible to have Harper Voyager be able to share stories with like non-binary characters and getting your contract and everything. And how... You know, how has social media kind of influenced in your career? How, media, so. you know, how did all um, of that kind of happen? Yeah, I feel like that's what we yeah well I mean I started off just on TikTok like, well, like I I had know, a newsletter that had like a hundred subscribers or something but like it, so the only other done. social media platform <laughs> you know, I was like on was TikTok um, and um so yeah just like it was it was so wonderful like starting on TikTok because um at that time I had like I didn't live around anybody who wanted to talk about books with me you know like I couldn't just like you know even walk into a bookstore and be like talk about fantasy romance with me you know um so to get online and find this like whole community of like authors and readers who are like so passionate about books and storytelling and like feeling like you found your community was like so incredible for me and so beautiful and um I was so excited to just like share what I was doing and be a part of it and connect with people and um I feel like that kind of like those relationships and those friendships is what really made the high mountain court like take off you know like I feel like pretty much a hundred percent of it was 
book talk and TikTok that made that book become what it is like yes I'd I'd like to think it's like you know semi well written but I feel like it is if you don't, it is <laughs> if you don't have the people behind it you know like there's there's a huge element of luck to all of this too you know and I think that anybody who tells you otherwise is kidding themselves you know and I think for me it was like really all of these like small creators and small book talk accounts who are super excited about the high mountain court that like made it take off. And then from there, I started growing into other social spaces and other social media and building more things. But like, for me, I think I come from a background of face-to-face uh, -face engagement. So like when I was working in conservation, I used to train people about like how to talk about animals and wildlife conservation and stuff, you know, which I still can't help myself. You like can't take me to a zoo. I'm just like, <laughs> I can't help but share fun facts, you know, um, but like, so talking to people one-on-one -on -one about something I'm passionate about is like my favorite thing. And so I feel like TikTok was this really like organic platform for that, where I could just talk to the camera about something that you know interested me and I was excited about and I could just be like silly and goofy and and real maybe like the realest version of myself especially about my love of books like in a way I couldn't be in my actual day-to-day -day life and I think that people connected with that because they might have seen themselves and me too and that kind of want and desire to connect over a love of reading and I think that's what really kind of like created this amazing group of readers. Yeah. So now that you are a best-selling author, how much of your day and how much of like the writing career stuff has to do with social media now? Yeah. Well, actually I'm, I'm starting to shift. I'm starting to pull nice. back a little um, because uh originally I was just on TikTok which was very sustainable and <laughs> it started adding in you know Instagram and Facebook Facebook groups I have a Discord group I have a Patreon I have a newsletter um I'm starting like a second pen name next year so like that's going to be a whole thing yeah I know secret I should nice. be about <laughs> spoilers don't uh, get you don't get yourself <laughs> in trouble no, 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 it's good. It's good. I'm I'm teasing. People know it's coming. Next year I'll announce everything. Um, but yeah, so I'm in a lot of places now. And um and I can't put a hundred percent of my energy into every single place. Like I can't put my whole day's worth of energy into every place that I'm in. So I have to be more strategic with it. And um, and so now I'm starting to look at having like I have an assistant who helps me create like graphics and content for other platforms outside of TikTok um, because that's really not where my strength lies I'd rather just like talk to a camera and like chat with my TikTok community um, and then I'm active in my groups but so now I have more people helping me kind of like balance all of that and I'm I'm kind of shifting more into like the book generation than the content generation for social media. Um, because I feel like when you have more books coming out, you don't need to be trying to keep people like on uh, people's attention in the same way. You just have like real things you want to share with them more. So um, yeah, I'm kind of like pivoting a little bit. And also like, you know, the first year of publishing, I don't think I took a, a single day off, like even when I was like really, really sick or had a stomach bug, or, you know, things like that. I was always on and that definitely took a toll. And I 
think I realized like this isn't sustainable I want to still be an author in 20 years you know <laughs> like I still want to be publishing and like I can't do that forever I need to look at how I can set up my life and my career in a more sustainable way so that I have time where I'm unplugged and not on socials and time when I am so um yeah I'm kind of like shifting more into that now what would you say like you said as someone who has had a relationship with social media while you've been a writer what would you say is like the number one positive thing, like most positive thing that you've discovered from being active on social media as an author? And then what's something that you, not necessarily like the creation of social media, but like social media itself that you struggle with, like as an individual? I mean, I think the most beautiful thing about it is the people, like connecting with other people. I think that a lot of um, creators get caught up in a numbers game and stop realizing that like there's actual people on the other side of the screen and stop treating them like people and are just focused on uh, a numbers game and um, actually like these smaller videos that reach fewer people that I actually have great conversations in the comments or you know connect with people on a more day-to-day -day basis actually has been um, like some of the most meaningful things to me as an author, like, you know, the success metrics outside of people shift over time and aren't always necessarily as valuable. Like having your third book come out isn't the same feeling as your first book, but every time you have like someone message you and say like your book meant a lot to them, like it means the same amount every time, like it hits like really deeply every time it gets me like super emotional. And, um, and that's the thing that I think is the best about social media is that those kind of connections. Um, and then I think like the hardest thing, the, like the worst thing is um, most social media is designed on like gaming based algorithms that are kind of like slot machines where they want you to always feel like slightly lacking <laughs> so like they're designed to make you always feel like you need to come back and show up more and do more and you're not doing quite enough and it can create this kind of hamster wheel of like where you're always scrambling for uh more attention and um I feel like I have to like very consciously and actively like fight against that pull to be like this is how much I'm willing to give and having boundaries with my social media and like boundaries with my phone in general um, so that I'm not pulled into this like desire to create more content than I actually have time to create. Now that you are on a contract, like you have contracts now, you have an agent, you have a publisher, how have you set those boundaries for your time, for your mental health, whether, you know, it's, look, I'm getting burnt out, excuse me, like whether I'm getting burnt out, whether you know, I just need to have time where I sit down and I write to get my freaking project done. Like, how have you set boundaries with yourself and with others? And how have those boundaries kind of changed as your career has changed? Yeah, I mean, like, I think... I, like other people have always been very like respectful of my boundaries like I'm very fortunate to have like a publisher and agent where like I tend to show up and give more than they're asking for anyway so when I need to pull back it's there's not an expectation that I do more so that's quite good um it's more the, the having to set boundaries with myself because I think there's especially with social media there's this feeling of like 
I could always be doing more, you know, like I could, I could create one more video. I could create one more post. I could just do that slight. Maybe that's the thing that's really going to take off today. And um, there's this always like pull to give more. And I think that on a, like pretty much a monthly basis, I have to kind of sit down with myself and be like, this is how much time I have, you know, like this is the pie. What big of a slice am I giving to social media versus writing versus everything else? You know, I only have this many hours in the day. How do I want to use them? And continually checking in about that because it shifts over time. Like some months I finished writing, I'm in editing, it's not taking up as much of my time. So I have a lot more time to do social media. And so I might create a lot more content then, and then it might fade away again. So um, yeah, it's like constantly checking in to create boundaries for myself, but I have had to get a lot better at saying no to people. Um, and that's so hard for me because I just want to say yes to everyone. And, um, you know, like, like if people will ask me to like art read books and do different things. And I'm like, ask you to be on their sorry. podcast. <laughs> no, I, I love being on podcasts. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like doing anything where I'm talking and like, face-to-face stuff is like my jam like I love that but when it comes to like a commitment of like reading a whole book that might take me like a whole month you know because uh, I'm a slow reader like if it's an audiobook I'm like yes I like if you have an arc of an audiobook yes immediately but if it's a physical book that's like a huge commitment for me so um, you know people ask me every day so obviously I can't say yes every day you know? <laughs> so it gets it gets hard when it's those things where you want to be able to say yes to everyone and support everyone in the ways you can and sometimes you just have to go like um, this is like how much time I have realistically like I can't do more than that so yeah that's been hard well I'm very grateful that you said yes to me and I'm I've been I've been very excited to be able to chat with you. So thank you for saying yes to me. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. So I want to transition to something, I guess, kind of out of the blue, but like I started following you on TikTok, you know, a couple of years ago or whenever it was that you started. uh, And when that happened, you lived in New Zealand originally. Yes. Like, yeah. Right. And now you're in Australia. Mm -hmm. I've been to both countries and they are hands down, like my favorite countries I've ever been to. And I'm just curious, like, how did you end up? Because you said that you were from the States. So how did you end up in New Zealand and Australia? I ended up there through Guatemala, funnily enough. (laughs) I was living living in Guatemala at the time, working as a wildlife rehabilitator and um, a volunteer manager for this wildlife rescue. Um, And we'd have lots of volunteers coming in every week. And one of them was this cute Kiwi guy. (laughs) (laughs) nice and um you know like I kind of had a like no hooking up with volunteers policy uh and he was there for like you know most people stay for a week or two and cut to like two months later he's still there (laughs) and and I still like him and he still likes me and um and then eventually we're like okay I think I think we like each other and um bless him he stayed he stayed there for like another six months while I finished out that contract on that job even though he's a computer programmer (laughs) not a wildlife biologist like me and um and I like his commitment yeah yeah he he knew he knew I was worth it (laughs) 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. And um and yeah, so we decided we'd go to New Zealand from there for just like a working holiday, just to travel around, see his home country. I'd already gotten into a master's program for primatology, so I was planning on moving to the UK. But then I fell in love with New Zealand and I got a job, a conservation job at a zoo that I really loved. And um, I was like, I ended up not going to the master program and decided to stay there instead. And then we ended up being there for like 13 years and I became a citizen. We got married. We had two kids. You know, <laughs> I think it worked out. <laughs> I think it worked out pretty well for you. Yeah. Uh, if you could give someone a piece of advice who's going to New Zealand for the first time, because like you said, you've, you obviously, you lived there for a significant amount of time. Yeah. What advice would you give them? Like, what recommendations would you give them? Where would you tell them to visit? The, the South Island? Like, what kind oh, of Oh, uh, I have so many advice? things. I mean, like, actually, I had a friend from the UK just message me about this the other day. And I was like, nice. right, okay, how much time do you have? Because I think that a lot of people you'll see will rent a car and drive like North Island, South Island and do both. Um, and you need a couple weeks to do it, I think, but like you can, you can get it done, like the big highlights in that amount of time. But I definitely recommend driving and stuff, just flying from city to city because you see so much of the countryside and there's so many like amazing little towns that have like these great little like country shops and cafes and like really, really cool, like just the best people. And, um, uh, yeah, but I think for the North Island, like definitely go to Hobbiton. <laughs> like it's worth the hype. The Waitomo Caves, the Glowworm Caves are amazing. Rotorua and the geysers uh, there. And then go down to Wellington and go see Weta Cave and go to Wellington Zoo <laughs> because that's where I used to work. Um, and my husband still works for Weta even now that we live here. So we're very attached to the Wellington movie scene both of us um and Wellington's a really cool city do the cable car go to Zealandia do all of that stuff and then take the ferry down to the South Island and do the Transalpine Rail through the mountains which is the most amazing uh train journey and then uh go down to Queenstown go see Mount Doom and do Milford Sound I think those are my, those are my big hitters <laughs> I appreciate that because I will say that when I went to New Zealand, I went to the North Island and I went to Hobbiton, I went to the caves and it was freaking gorgeous. So it makes me happy that I kind of hit at least most of those places that you, that you said to go. So that's good. I yeah. have to go back though. And I have to hit the South Island because I didn't yeah. have time to do the South Island. Uh, it's totally different than the North Island. That's too. what like, I've The heard. North Island's very like pastoral, like kind of more farming landscapes and stuff. And the South Island is very epic. Like these mountains are just like bananas. Like Milford Sound really feels like you're in like some sort of like Grecian afterlife myth, <laughs> you know, like there's nice. These, they're you're just going through this like fjord basically where there's like towering cliffs as far as the eye can see with these like thin little like waterfalls falling down them. And it just is like, you're like, I've, I've never been anywhere that's like that. And I've been to a lot of different countries. It's like incredible. Yeah. Oh, darn. I have to book another trip. That I know you got to go back. And if you have time to do some hiking, I would say do one of the great walks too. Like some of them are only two or three days. Um, you know, you can go do like the Abel Tasman's quite an easy one to do. And um, you really get like 
immersed in nature there and some amazing views and things and you can also do it glamping where like people carry the packs up and they like set up the whole meal for you and stuff so you just have to carry like a little day backpack and stuff I think if we were doing it again now that's how I would do it because <laughs> they're like time we did all the walks and we had like you know our dried dehydrated food and like muesli bars and then we'd look over at the glampers and they have like a five course meal <laughs> set up for them and we're like all sad <laughs> so splurge a little bit and do the glamping Mackenzie if you're listening yeah. to this I think I've planned our next trip just FYI okay you're going with me to the South Island there you go <laughs> <laughs> transitioning from New Zealand to Australia because you just recently yes. moved to Australia right you haven't you haven't been there super long yeah well we've actually been here a year now but I feel like has we it been a year that much <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. But we were so in like, you know, we were Airbnb and then we had a short-term rental and then we bought a house. And so we've been just kind of like, we've barely explored our like hometown shops yet, even though it's been a year. So we haven't done too much exploring yet. <laughs> what section of Australia are you in, if you don't mind me asking? We're in the Sunshine Coast. So just north of Brisbane in Queensland. So very tropical very here. Nice which I love. I mean, like coming from working in Guatemala and South Africa and like a lot of trop- more like warm weather, tropical places and stuff. South Africa isn't really tropical, but like warm weather places. Um, I, it's really nice to be back in the sunshine because Wellington, I love, but it's very like moody, rainy, windy weather, which is good for a little bit, but like I need, I'm solar powered. Like I'm like the epitome of like a lizard basking on a hot rock in the sun. Like that's what I need to function. So uh, I'm glad that we're here now. Yeah. And we can just go home to visit people in New Zealand. You need to. I've seen that you've gone on like a writing retreat while you've been in Australia though. How was that yeah. writing retreat? How was it? Um, I've done a bunch of like little mini solo retreats and then I went back to New Zealand for like a writing retreat with friends but like I do like to occasionally tack on like a couple of days if I'm going to like a conference or a book fair or things like that to like stay in whatever city I'm in. Um, like most recently I was in Sydney for the Romance Writers of Australia conference and I stayed for an extra like two days and just went to like the glorious like Sydney library and just worked on my laptop and it was awesome to like just carve out these little like mini writing retreats. I feel like, um, you know, a lot of times I'm only writing like a little bit each day, but sometimes it's nice to kind of like binge write because you can hold on to like so much more of the world building if you do it in a big chunk. You know, if you're not trying to remember the eye color of a some side character from six months ago, it's much easier to remember it from yesterday, you know. So I like doing writing retreats. And I do think too, like, um, like every Friday I meet up with a writing group at the library and we all do like writing sprints together. And um, it's awesome. Like I really like working with other writers because there's something about like just the energy of everybody quietly focusing that really helps me quietly focus. It's probably an ADHD thing. I need the body doubling, you know, but yeah, I really like whenever I can do that. I've actually been thinking about maybe organizing my own writing retreat and seeing if maybe a few authors want to come along and, and, you know, rent a cabin out somewhere in the hinterland of Queensland and 
do a writing retreat. Yeah. That sounds like an amazing writing retreat. I'm not inviting yeah. myself, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'll <laughs> let it, you know. I'll put a call out. <laughs> yes, please put a call out. Because like I said, I got to come back down there at some point, whether it's New Zealand, whether it's Australia. So yeah. you let me know. There uh, you go. What does your writing process kind of look like when you sit down and write? Like, do you play music mm. in the background? Do you have to have it completely silent? What is what does your process kind of look like? I can't listen to music because I get too affected by it. Like I'm a very audio dominant person. So if I can hear any music, I start typing the lyrics. And even when it's like non-lyric based, I just get too into like the vibe of the song. <laughs> so I can't really work with music on. Um, so I either need like silence or like a general like din of like a cafe or something where like nobody's talking to me. They're just like, talking around me like I can deal with that um so like either like a quiet like library space where like people are all working or um like just kind of like a general noise <laughs> cafe or something I can work in best but um I find I actually work better out of the house than in my office um there's something about being at home that just kind of I, I go into mom mode, you know, even when my kids aren't here, I'm just like, we got to do this, we got to do that. And finally, I like, instead of trying to figure out how to make it work, I was like, I just need to get out of the house. Like, even if it's just taking my laptop to the closest picnic bench down the road, like doing it that way, I think I get a lot more done. Um, yeah. So like, that's kind of my process is like sometimes I'll my one of my favorite things to do, and if any you know anybody listening has ADHD, this works really well. Um, is I'll do like <laughs> yeah, I'll do what I call like walking writing sprints, where I will it's kind of like gamifying writing, where I'll go someplace like an Esplanade or someplace that has like a lot of seating areas, and I'll like every picnic bench I get to, I have to write five hundred words as fast as I can. So I'll like sit down, open my laptop, write 500 words. And then while I'm walking to the next picnic bench, I'm thinking about like um, what I need to write next. And so I'm already brainstorming it. So by the time I get there, I sit down, I write it really quick. And then you end up getting like nice walk in, like good little like bit of exercise being outdoors. And you, it's amazing how quickly you can write like a few thousand words. So yeah. I'm going to try that because yeah. honestly, I I really struggle writing at home. I, I get distracted. It's okay. Well, there's laundry I have to do. The dog's got to be let out to go to the bathroom. You know, okay, well, I got to do the dishes. I got to do this. Oh, I have to make mm -hmm. this phone call that I've been putting off for three weeks. Like I'm the same yeah. way. I have to get out of the house. So I'm going to I'm going to try that. Yeah, I give really it a like go. That. If it's a nice day, it's, it's quite a nice little way to do it. And it feels like it's a win-win. You get some writing done, you go for a walk, and it feels like a little bit more gamified in a fun way. So, you know, yeah. I really like that. I like that idea. I'm glad I talked to you yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's, that's, good, go. that's a good idea because I it's need to be more productive. It's good when you need to like finish something too and you just like you're stagnating and you're feeling kind of stuck and you just need to like that last push to like get it done. Like it's really good like kind of finishing energy. Yeah. I really like that. Okay. So we're going to transition to rapid fire questions. They by no okay. means need to be rapid answers <laughs> yeah. but there is a question that I wanted to ask you before but I totally got distracted by all your interesting stories uh so I'm going to ask you this now um what is the most memorable moment from your publishing career so far 
I mean, I've had a lot. <laughs> like, you know, selling my series to Harper Voyager was like so epic. It was life changing and, um, you know, meant that we could move to Australia. But my most recent one, which I think I can talk about now, and I could definitely talk about by the time this comes out, um, is the narrator for A River of Golden Bones is um, Vico Ortiz, who is, if you've seen Our Flag Means Death, they play Jim, the character Jim, and um, I'm completely obsessed with them. <laughs> I'm so That's excited. amazing. <laughs> I've just been walking around the house going like, oh my God, Vico Ortiz is narrating this series. And to have like a non-binary like voice actor narrating my genderqueer, you know, fantasy story is just like the most amazing thing ever. So I'm so incredibly excited. That's exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. I mean, everybody should just go get the audiobook just because they're narrating it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's listen. for Golden Bones, right? That's for Golden Bones. Yeah. yeah so a river of golden bones. Yep. That's very exciting. Yeah, Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now to the actual questions that I didn't get distracted and not ask you already. What is your favorite genre to read? Is it romance? Is it fantasy? Is it romanticy? Because let's face it, at this point, that's its own genre. Right. Yeah. I mean, I usually I waffle back and forth. I actually probably so I mostly listen to audiobooks because by the end of the day, I've been staring at words, like, you know, for several hours. And so it's nice to just listen uh, to a story. Um, but for me, it's mostly rom-coms lately, because I just, they're like light and funny and fluffy and kind of like easily digestible, you know, and I just kind of like, I, I like that after like a long day of world building and stuff. But then of course, like romanticy fantasy romance is like the my OG favorite genre so I usually have like one interspersed with like a couple of rom-coms is how I like to do it and then usually like there's a certain like you know every few months where I need something like super spicy you know <laughs> and I'll go through a super oh I know yeah, yeah I totally get yeah. that yeah yeah <laughs> what are some good rom-coms what are some good rom-coms that you've uh read recently um I love Lucy score like all of her books are really fun and like um laugh out loud right now I'm listening to Megan Quinn um oh how's that one yeah and not so meet cute I'm enjoying yes. it yeah and um I just listened to uh, what is what it's something love it first set which is a sapphic rom-com is that by Jennifer Dugan it might Did I make be. that up I can't remember I might have made that up yeah, I, I recognize I the title know. I recognize but, the title um, but it's good yeah like all of all of those are just like super fun and um I feel like I can listen to them in a couple of days and it's just like it's just nice to have like you know like these little like slapstick humor sort of moments and in, in a story and like even in my fantasy I like to have like a couple comedic moments and stuff but um yeah. And then, and then inevitably I always get pulled back to fantasy because like, I, like I'd much rather live in a fantasy world than in reality. <laughs> so yeah, I always go back, but cozy fantasy now has been like a nice thing too, or, you know, like 
Um, sometimes the stakes are very high in especially epic fantasy romance. Um, and so it's nice to have these kind of like smaller, smaller world, smaller problems going on. Yeah. I just got introduced recently to Cozy Fantasy through Travis yeah. Baldry's Yes, oh yeah. Legends and Book, Lattes. Leg, Legends and Lattes. Oh, Bookshops and was, Bone Dust is the new one. Yeah. That's the new one. I just got an arc of that and I'm very excited to read that one oh, because like nice. I said, I just got introduced to this world and it's so warm and fuzzy and it makes me very happy. Like it's such a good yes. little genre niche. So what is, is your favorite? It's like cozy ASMR, fantasy? but like yes. in book form. Exactly. I mean, I, Legends and Lattes, the audiobook, because he narrates that because he's an audiobook narrator too, Travis Baldry. And so he um uh narrates the audiobook, which I'd love because you know he's doing it exactly how he imagined it to be, which is kind of nice when you have an author who can do both. Um but it's it really is. It feels like like cozy woolly socks and blankets and ASMR for the ears and you just feel kind of like I'm thinking about being lost in this little coffee shop and stuff um also like Kimberly Lemming I believe yes um that I like that time I got uh, drunk and say like summoned a demon or saved a demon like oh my gosh all those books just like go read those those are awesome and then um uh Natalia Hernandez has um a new book out that's it's kind of, I mean it's more like straight fantasy but it also has some cozy vibes too um yeah so like those are some of my some of my faves there's so Not many more that I really want to read there's some that are kind of like cozy rom-com fantasy vibes you know like they kind of have a little mixture of both that I've had my eye on for a while that I need to kind of jump into like they have they seem like a hybrid of like like if a cozy fantasy and a rom-com had a baby you know what I mean so when yeah. you read those you're gonna have to tell me what they are because I'm not gonna lie that sounds pretty pretty right? close to perfect yeah, <laughs> yeah. Book that sounds pretty close it's to like perfect. you want all the warmth and comfort but you want like the quirky romance yeah okay I'm definitely have to gonna get recommendations of those from you yeah okay so <laughs> expect me to be reaching out to you if you, <laughs> um, if you so. follow uh meg's tea room on tiktok i don't uh, yeah that there's so many good like it's basically like a cozy book rec account and um just so many good cozy cozy book recs on there so oh darn i have to get on tiktok again yeah. oh no <laughs> sounds terrible <laughs> okay so if you could write one trope that you haven't written already what would mm. it be and it can't be a trope that's in golden bones because that one's almost out I know yeah I'm thinking like because I've done a lot of trips and mm -hmm. then this new secret project has some new trips <laughs> so um one thing I haven't done yet that I have plans to do in the future that I would really like to do is um why choose so I haven't done that before, but I have some ideas of some things I'd like to do. So, <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. So what are you currently reading right now and what's next on your TBR list? So I'm listening to A Not So Meet Cute by Megan Quinn, uh, the audiobook right now. And then I've just started reading um, an arc of uh, Feathers So Black by Lyra Celine. How is that one? 
I'm already obsessed. Like, yeah, it sounds so freaking good. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm just like, it's, it's like the writing is beautiful. And so I'm like, I've just, just started it, but I'm already like, you know, when a book just hooks you from the beginning, like it has a premise where you're just like, yes, I'm into this. <laughs> like, I love, I love, like, you've set it up for me just the way I need it. So yeah, I'll, I'll have to let you know, as I keep reading it, it's been hard to yes. like, um, because it's an arc, you know, it's not like, it's physically reading takes me a lot longer, especially with ADHD and my penchant for interruption by children <laughs> so <laughs> I've been you know reading it as I fall asleep at night so um but I'd love to carve out some more time to really like binge read it in the next few yeah. days <laughs> that one from the moment I read the synopsis I can't even remember how long ago that was and when it was announced I was like oh my goodness this one sounds so freaking good yeah I'm, I'm very my excited agent hooked one. me up because uh we have the same agent nice so nice nice flex nice yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's the best when you just get like um and then um like uh chloe uh penia randa randa uh just is like just got picked up by my agent too and i'm like i'm excited to (laughs) excited to read your books um yeah so it's that that's always fun when you like that's one of the benefits to you of traditional publishing is sometimes the publisher will be like um hey do you want to read an advanced copy of like I got um Feybound uh I know it's right there look yeah and I'm just like I'm so jealous yeah so I'm lucky I'm very lucky (laughs) I'm so freaking jealous for that one like I I also got to read the Hurricane Wars before it came out and that was that was a really good one too that is a really good one yeah I'm so yeah I'm go so Harper jealous. Voyager <laughs> Woo! I'm telling you man Harper Voyager is coming out with some insane titles like yeah. they have their like coming out stack is just it's insane the amount of talent that they're producing and publishing it's absolutely insane so good job I, know, I can't Voyager. believe I get Huge to be fan. a part of it yeah <laughs> right it's amazing right so what is the most valuable piece of advice you've received in regards to your writing? Oh, gosh, so many things. I mean, like one thing is like be wary of advice, especially from people who are giving advice like you have to do it this way, because uh, most of the times they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> like if anybody's giving you blanket advice that applies to all authors, like I inevitably can think of like a bunch of authors who are doing the exact opposite very successfully. So just like always be wary of advice. Think of if it applies for you or if you want to give it a go before taking it on board I would say but um one of the most valuable piece of pieces of advice that I've received is like you've got to write for you first like and for the joy of it even if it's like um like a really dramatic scene or a really intense moment like there's gotta be some level of joy and um pleasing yourself first because I think sometimes especially after you've had a few books come out you start to think about like your audience before what you want to do. And um, that can kind of like really stall you out because 
uh, nobody's going to like everything. Every trope has people who hate that trope and people who love that trope, you know? So um, if you're trying to like write for everybody, you're not going to write anything. So you've got to think about what you want to be writing first and, and make sure that first draft is really just for you. Um, yeah. I appreciate that. That's good advice. Yeah. So if you weren't an author and you could do anything mm. in the world, what would you want to do? Oh, it's hard because I feel like I, I'm like, my, my goal is to always be an author. <laughs> like yeah, that's, that is my goal. Um, I think I'll always be writing, even if I'm not sharing it with people. Um, but as far as like career wise, I, I probably, I mean, like my first two goals in life were to either be an author or be a wildlife rehabilitator and I can say I've successfully done both but here you can get a private rehabilitator's license so you can rehabilitate wildlife like independently so like if Australia is you you know they get a lot of rescues and they need someone to focus on long-term rehabilitation or something I could be like their like macropod specialist and have like wallabies and kangaroo jellies and stuff and you know so that yeah, sounds, like something like oh that. My God. Like a, and then maybe I'd make like a TikTok account about all of the animals I was taking care of. <laughs> that sounds, I would totally watch that. That sounds amazing. I am obsessed with wallabies now since I went to oh, Australia because yeah. I did, yeah. a, it was, it was a rehabilitation thing or whatever. And they had kangaroos mm -hmm. and I've always loved kangaroos, but the little freaking wallabies, man. Oh my yeah. goodness. They're it took so every ounce of self-restraint I had not to tuck one away in my bag. <laughs> I obviously yeah. didn't because I'm not in prison, <laughs> but it was, oh my goodness, they are so freaking cute. And have uh, you seen quokkas? Aren't they so, the Australians, you just got some quokkas. They're brand new and they're so freaking cute. It, they're just adorable. Yeah, I'm... I'm obsessed with just the little faces. Okay. I could go I on know. literally for an hour about these little guys because they're so <laughs> yeah. freaking cute. Just if you haven't seen videos of them, go watch videos. Is it Q-U-O-K-K-A? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go research them because they're freaking yeah. adorable. You'll oh find even if you type that in and it's spelled wrong. It, I'm sure that's what yeah. you'll still <laughs> you'll still find it. You'll totally still find them, and it'll it'll still be a cute little creature. It'll still be a cute yeah. creature. So if you could invite someone over for dinner, dead or alive, who would you invite and why? Ooh, I mean, like, there's so many people I would love to meet. Take away TD. Um, Actually, like I've gone to a bunch of events that he's been at, but I haven't gotten to like actually talk to him at them because, you know, like back in the day, they'd have like Kickstarter campaigns for like some of their movies, like what we do in the shadows and hunt for the wilder people. And so we'd go to those and get to see them talking about it and stuff. Um, but I think I'd, I'd, I don't know if I could handle it, <laughs> but if I could, I would love to have dinner with Emma Darcy. I'm completely nice. obsessed with them. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's a good choice. Both of those are thank good you. choices. Thank you. Both of those. Y'all, thank you. I know. Thank you. <laughs> they are. They're very good. I'm like, yes, yes, they are. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. I know. That's why I chose them. Obviously, they would be amazing. I like, I, I, I feel like we'd get along. <laughs> so if you could invite a fictional character over and let's yeah. do one from your books and one not from your books, Ooh, okay. who would you invite and why? uh from my books 
I'd probably invite Brie over because I think she and I would just get along <laughs> and we'd have a good time. Like some of my favorite characters are like not necessarily good like dinner conversation people. <laughs> you know, there's like a lot of introverts, but I think Brie would be like a really good time. <laughs> like we'd have fun together. Um, yeah. And ooh. That's really, really hard. There's so many people. I've been like, Galadriel, maybe. <laughs> Good choice. I feel like that would be a very interesting. Con- that would be a very interesting right? conversation on dinner. Yeah. Yeah. If she didn't like go all evil on me, like that. Would I was be... gonna say, which Galadriel are we talking about here? Which yeah, uh, right? I know. Which side of her? Like Legolas, one of the one of the Tolkien characters. I think would be really cool. <laughs> I'm not usually a fan of blonde characters, but I was obsessed with Legolas when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Had a framed poster, you know, up in my room. Yeah, yeah. Total Legolas fan. (laughs) Yeah. Total Legolas fan. It's so funny because it's like, I was completely obsessed with that. And I, before having ever been to New Zealand, and then I moved to New Zealand and then like married someone who was working on the Hobbit films and got to like meet a lot of those actors and um our hedgehog was in the hobbit films and are you serious yeah yeah so like if you've seen the hobbit if you've seen the scene with radagast where like all the woodland creatures are dying there's this like dying hedgehog and that's our pet hedgehog that we adopted when she retired from wellington zoo we adopted her yeah that is one of the coolest stories i've ever heard (laughs) Yeah, that is. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Yeah, so we're very connected to the films. <laughs> we got to go to the premiere and like, yeah, the Wellington one, and <laughs> that's freaking yeah. cool. How was the premiere? I gotta ask. Well, so there was like a few. So there was one for like the actors and stuff that we didn't get to. <laughs> like that was pretty fancy. There was like they had a red carpet all the way like down like the center of Wellington with all the like wedding workshop statues and stuff. It was super cool. We got to like go to the red carpet and like watch. But then they um so the Embassy Theater in Wellington was renovated by Peter Jackson into this like gorgeous old timey movie theater, and um and so that the whole place got rented out for what a staff and you had to like uh, check in your phones and stuff because, you know, it was before the film came out. So you couldn't like take phones in and things. And they had like all this fancy catering and everybody got dressed up and we got to go, go watch it. And it was really, really cool. Yeah. And then everybody oh of God. course stays for all the credits because all their names are in it, you know? So <laughs> yeah. And so there's just random cheering in the audience as everybody sees their like names pop up. Yeah. You've had so many flexes in like the last 10 minutes. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. Oh my goodness. So many flexes. I'm so impressed with you, you right know, now. You know, the so irony, eh? Like to go from being a Tolkien nerd and now Harper Voyager owns the Lord of the Rings books. So they own all the Tolkien books and to be published by the same publisher is just wild. It's totally That's surreal. so freaking cool. Oh my goodness. That yeah. is surreal. I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. Thank you. That's oh, that's, the it makes me so happy. Too. Right? Exactly. We appreciate it. We understand it. Okay. So, last question: What currently yes. brings you joy? Oh, I mean, one of my favorite, like, simple things that brings me like immense amounts of joy is 
when I go for a walk here and I'm walking along the beach in the beautiful weather and I see a kookaburra and just their like adorable little faces and when they make their little laugh like you know you'll be walking along and everybody around here still stops and they just kind of smile to themselves like they can't help but smile because it's just like so adorable and endearing and um yeah I love that every time I see a I always come home I'm like look at these photos and my husband's like you do this every day and I'm still <laughs> excited <laughs> you do this all the time it they look yeah. the same that's and I'm funny. like but it's so cool yeah I love them well, thank you so much, Allie, for being on. I'm so thankful that you agreed to come on. It was such an honor to talk to you. I've loved watching your career just grow and take off. And I'm so excited to see how that continues. And I know that you're going to have a very long and amazing career. So thank you so much for being on here. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. That's it for our first interview of this episode. So let's dive into our second. My next guest is a romance author whose debut, Writers of the Lost Heart, released earlier this month. Her stories feature strong, passionate heroines and draw upon aspects of her life, such as her love of good food and great cocktails, dancing, her Mexican heritage, and her fascination with archaeology. Please welcome the amazing Joe Segura. Oh, welcome, 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 Joe. I am so freaking excited to talk to you. I'm absolutely obsessed with Raiders. It's beyond, like... More than I could possibly tell you, I'm obsessed with this book. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Absolutely. So I'm going to start out the same way I do with every episode. Why did you want to become a writer and how did it happen? Um, You know, ever since I was a little kid, I've just always loved books and writing. Like going to the library, that's what we did. Um, there were a couple of libraries pretty close to our house and it didn't matter what library we went to. Every time we went to a different one, it was like magical for me. Uh, but when I was a little kid, I started like writing my own stories and I, you know, draw little pictures with crayon and it was something I always loved doing. I wrote tons and tons of stories, um, but it wasn't until I was in my twenties when I maybe late twenties, early thirties, where I was finally like, you know, maybe I should write something more than just like these short stories. Um, because even like in my late teens and my twenties, I was still writing stories, but I was never writing like what would be a novel. And a friend of mine had convinced me that I should go ahead and try it out. Um, we had been talking about romance books. And so I wrote this story or this full length novel is terrible. Um, nobody's allowed to read it. It's so bad. Um, and, but it really got me into wanting to do more. Um, so I talked with another friend of mine who, uh, was a self-published author. She took me with her to my very first writing conference. And then I met a bunch of people in the romance writing community in the Seattle metro area. And it was like, my world had changed. I had found my people and I got really involved in going to like romance conferences and it just kind of took off from there. But I've always loved books. I've always loved writing. I will never stop reading. I will never stop writing. So why specifically romance? You touched on it a little bit, but like, is there something like a deeper connection you have or do you just, that's just what you enjoy reading? Um, I think it's 
really just what I enjoy reading. I've always loved love stories. And like when I'm watching TV and movies, I always like the TV shows and the movies that have a love story, even if it's not um, a story like a romance. But when there's that romantic subplot, I love it. Uh, I think what I love most about romance, though, is it always makes you happy. And, you know, I love reading books like thrillers and like suspense, but those don't necessarily make me happy. <laughs> you know, sometimes they're really disturbing, but romance always makes me happy, always makes me smile. I always know that when I'm done with reading it, there's going to be a happily ever after. And that's really satisfying to me, especially when the world's so crazy and we've got all sorts of nonsense happening. You know, I can always go to romance books because they always make me smile. I'm the same way. It's like with all the crazy stuff that is going on in my personal life, like when I read a romance and even besides all the crazy stuff that happens to the characters in the book, I know that they're going to work through it. Yes. And I know that they're going to get their happy ending. Like they'll figure out whatever it is and it will end well. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like, okay, I don't know how they're going to get there, but they will get there. But they will. I will be happy at the end. Exactly. And so Raiders of the Lost Heart is your debut and it released on December 5th. So how has your debut process been? How's everything been since the release? And also just congratulations. Like this is such an incredible accomplishment and the book is amazing. I'm very much obsessed with this book. So congratulations just in general. Thank you. Um, it's been awesome. I, you know, I've been working with Berkeley. Everybody at Berkeley that I've worked with has been amazing. My editor, my publicist, my marketing team, everyone's awesome. And they make it so much easier because going through this process is kind of scary um but they're always there to answer my questions and you know every opportunity that I've been given I am genuinely just like surprised by I'm like oh my gosh this person wants to do a podcast with me really okay that sounds awesome um you know getting on lists and stuff it's like what really like I am just blown away and seeing since the book has come out, seeing the readers who are tagging me in reviews and who are taking pictures that they got the book at the bookstore, that they put on hold at the library, it just makes me so happy just to see it out there. It, it's the best feeling ever. Um, my debut was great. I had you know a lot of people in the Seattle area show up for it, um, and I was just overwhelmed by the support and you know, to, to walk out. And I thought the weather was crazy that day in Seattle. It was just dumping rain. On the way up there, I was super nervous. And my sister come into town, my husband, we're all driving up there. And there's all these accidents on the way. And I'm like, oh my God, no one's going to come because the weather's so bad. And when it was finally time for me to come out to see how many people did come and not necessarily even people I knew, it was just like the best feeling. I, I'm loving it. I'm loving every second of it. That's got to be such an incredible feeling to walk out for like your first event, like since your release and there be people there who are excited to meet you, who are excited for the book. Like that's got to be such an overwhelming, but such incredible feeling. Oh my God. Sorry. I don't know why I'm getting Terry. I thinking about it. <laughs> 
I got teary at. Oh I my god! Just you know, and some of the people who were there um, said that they just saw it on social media. Some people said that they had seen me. I had moderated an event for Ellie Hazelwood, who's like the nicest author ever. And they were like, oh, we saw you at that event. So we wanted to come check out your book. And so, you know, it wasn't even people who knew me, they, but they were there. And it's just awesome. It's awesome seeing people like wanting to read my book. At first, it was kind of scary. And I'm like, oh, my God, people are going to read my words. But now I, I'm just really enjoying it. Well, I'm glad you pushed through that fear and anxiety and you published and you wrote this book because, like I said, I've already said this multiple times and I'm just going to continue saying this. I am obsessed with this book and I I love romance. I love Indiana Jones. I love National Treasure. Like I love those kinds of movies and it was very reminiscent of that. I love a very strong female lead. Like I, this book is just, I freaking loved it. I'm so excited for your next one. But before I get too excited about your sec- your next one, so Raiders is a national treasure, kind of a Laura Croft and Indiana Jones inspired book. It has rival archaeologists, a strong female Latina lead, and some incredible romance and adventure. So where did this idea come from? So, um, you know, I was querying another novel and in publishing, it's just very slow. And so, you know, you could look for an agent and you find an agent in a week you can be looking for a year you can be looking for multiple years you just never know a lot of publishing is just all about timing um so i was querying another manuscript and i just kind of had the itch to write something and someone had tweeted um name a profession that you wish you saw more of in romance for the hero and the heroine and I thought I was being really funny. Normally, I don't respond to tweets. Like, I'm just a lurker. Um, yeah, I just like stuff, and that's it. I don't I don't respond. Um, but for some reason, that day, I was feeling clever, and I said, archaeologists, there are a lot of bones to examine or something like that. And, um, and I was just like, oh, I'm so hilarious. But then later on, I thought about it, and I was like, you know, that would be kind of fun, like to see like a Lara Croft and Indiana Jones, like going on a dig together. Cause I love, I love adventure movies and both of those characters are so hot. And I'm like, Oh, it would be amazing to see those two. And I bet they'd be bickering the whole time. And so I'm just kind of mulling this over and I got this idea in my head for this one scene and it's their, it's Ford and Corey's first intimate scene. Um, when she goes in to look for batteries I won't say too much I'll just leave it's such a good scene it's such a good scene that's like the first scene that came to my head and I was like oh this would be really fun to write and so there was a NaNoWriMo coming up National Novel Writing Month for any listeners who don't know what that is and I was like you know I'm just gonna give it a go I'm gonna see what happens with this manuscript um, during NaNoWriMo and the very first words I wrote during NaNo are the very first words that you see in Raiders. And it just was like, this book wanted me to write it. And it just went from there. And it just went from there. So, oh God, I want to say what that scene is about because when the item, okay, you know what? I'm just going to say it because the book's officially out and it's so freaking amazing. I cackled out loud. So she's 
in her tent, right? They're in her tent. And they are in his tent because she goes looking for the batteries. And it's, so it's her vibrator. She brought a vibrator and it, it dies. And it's just, it's such a funny ass scene. And when he discovers the vibrator, I, that's the one where I freaking cackled because when he opens it and it's, it's just like sitting there and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought a vibrator. Like I'm going to be here for months. Like what do you expect? It's just, oh my God, I freaking cackled. It was so fucking funny. Pardon my language. Um, and the banter and the bickering between the two are just, mm-hmm. oh, it's so good. So kudos to you because it's, thank you. It's fantastic. As someone who's like partial love language is like bickering, like those sarcastic comments, mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. really appreciated this book. Um, but now, originally, did you know that you wanted to write a book exploring like the Aztec history? and one drawing on like your Mexican heritage or did it just kind of come naturally as you drafted and created these characters? So after I decided I was going to give it a go, I'm like, okay, now I got to figure out what's the story about aside from the scene where she goes and looking for batteries for her vibrator. Um, I'm like, okay, I got to figure out what, what are they out there looking for? And I've always wanted to write a story using the name Socorro. It's my great aunt's name. And I just love that name. I just think it's such a beautiful name. And so I'm like, oh, well, what if they're out there looking for something that actually means something to her? Because in so many adventure movies, we see usually a male lead who's out there searching for artifacts in some foreign country that he has no connection to those artifacts. I mean, we do have national treasure where I suppose he has some, he has some connection, but like, other than that, like, it's usually like Indiana Jones, he has no connection to the lost Ark or to, you know, the, whatever it was, those, those stones are looking for in Temple of Doom, you know? So I thought, well, let's, have something where they it actually means something to them and as I started writing because I really I'm not much of a plotter I, I have like vague ideas in my head but I'm not much of a plotter and as I was typing that very first chapter on that very first day of NaNoWriMo I get to the part at the end of the first chapter where the person who approaches Corey to go on this dig says well, if you don't want to come, then I guess you're going to miss out on searching for the remains of your ancestor. It just came out. And I'm like, oh, that would be interesting. And so I kind of went with it from there. I've always been really fascinated by um, the Aztec civilization. And I thought, well, you know, this is something that I'm personally interested in. Having Corey have that connection um, would be also be really interesting. And so it gave me an opportunity to do some more research into the Aztec civilization, find a backstory as to, you know, the the artifacts that they're looking for. And, you know, I just went, I just went with it. It went from there. Now, while Chimali, is that how you say? Chimali. Chimali. Um, while Chimali, the Aztec warrior Corey and the rest of the team are looking for, while he isn't real, uh, there are some events that are talked about in the book that actually did happen. Mm-hmm. So what kind of research did you have to do and how did you decide what information you were going to use like fact by fact 
and others like why did you choose to use those as influences or inspiration so i think you know i did a lot of research for writing this book but you don't necessarily see all of that on the page because it's a romance novel it's not a textbook on aztec civilization um and uh but i think when you're writing a book like this that has some roots in real people you have to do the research just to understand it yourself because it helps with the world building um i wanted to have the story still rooted in love so you know they're out there looking for her her ancestors remains well she had to come from somewhere right and so you know it i included this story about this aztec warrior who had fled um the um Tenochtitlan so that he could be with the woman that he loved because in the aztec civilization an aztec warrior would have been in a more noble class versus a commoner who would not have been that would not have been a relationship that would have you know been approved of and so i thought it would be interesting to kind of explore that type of a story um given that ultimately it still is a romance novel um but the aztecs were really interesting people and you know i wanted to make sure i was being really culturally sensitive because their society was very different than our society today and there are a lot of things they think people think about when they think of the aztecs uh, one of the first things probably being that they practiced human sacrifice and you know i wanted to make sure that i address that in the book but in a way that we still respected their culture because although we look at that as being really you know barbaric um that was a very important religious ritual to the aztecs and so i included little bits of those types of um facts in raiders but in the end it still is a story about ford and corey you know that other stuff helps to form why they're there why it's important to corey why it's so important that you know she wasn't selected as the lead um that all helps to build that foundation but in the end it still is a love story between ford and corey now one i guess you could call it a theme or a moment um but it's something that runs kind of throughout a large part of the book and it has to do with um, an interview that Corey did. It was for a magazine and it ended up becoming, you know, quote unquote, a fantasy for a lot of people in the archaeology world. Uh, and it was because of how she looked in that magazine and just how she looks in general. And she really tried to distance herself from it because she was afraid and rightfully so, because I know that this happens a lot to females in general. Um, she was afraid that she wouldn't be taken seriously as an archaeologist because of it. So why did you choose to incorporate this kind of very real dilemma um, that a lot of women face because it it wasn't something that you needed to put into the book, let me say, but it adds so much more depth and character to her as a character. And it really adds, um, it really sticks out in the book as a really kind of pivotal you know, moment and story that kind of goes throughout the book. So why did you choose to um, add that and kind of incorporate that? So when I first decided to write this book, I really wanted the 
the heroine to be the star and I wanted her to be a badass and I wanted her to be like Lara Croft because Lara Croft is so cool but when people think of Lara Croft the I bet the very first thing people think about is that she's hot they don't think about that she's really smart that you know she um you know can do all these really cool like acrobatics or that you know she probably had to work really hard to get where she is they just think that she's hot and you know having a character who was kind of modeled after that you know I wanted to really explore what that was probably really like for a person like that like sure they're a badass and everyone thinks they're hot but there's more to them than that and so I wanted to explore some of the sexism in um, academia and in the professional world just in general you know this is her life's work she's out there searching for her ancestors remains yet she's not the one who's selected for the dig and those are to lead the dig and those are things that happen in real life where there is a woman who has been working really really hard to get to a particular place yet she isn't the person who is selected to you know do whatever this thing is and um you know I wanted to give Corey's character more depth than just being that she's a badass and that you know she looks really good well even people who are perceived as being badasses and who are attractive have their own insecurities as well and so Corey's still working through that um and you know wanting to be respected I don't know I mean I'm sure there are many listeners who have been in a situation like that where they feel like they're not being respected even though they've done all the work to get to where they are yet you know people I mean in even in my professional life sometimes people call me girl and I'm like I'm not a girl I'm a woman and I worked really hard to get where I'm at and you know so to have that character really number one experiencing those hardships in her professional life but two working through them and you know I think it's really important for romance when the main characters can help each other work through their issues you know Ford obviously he thinks she's a beautiful woman but he sees all those other amazing sides of her I mean even at the very beginning of the book when he's complaining about her to his best friend he's like yeah but she's still the smartest person I ever met you know so like for him like that's the thing that he thinks of is just how brilliant she is um you know, I, I I wanted a character that had all of those different sides who wasn't just really great at everything. Even people who are great at everything still have their insecurities. So the romantic tension and the banter between Corey and Ford is top notch. And I want to ask, um, how was it writing that romantic and sexual tension between them? And how was it writing like a sex scene that you know that you knew no apparently I'm just gonna mush those together and you form know. one word <laughs> that you knew was going to be read by a bunch of people like was there anxiety kind of over that or was it just like you know what this is part of the story and 
they like it they like it if they don't they don't like how was that writing and knowing that that was going to be out in the world so I've written numerous manuscripts um this is my debut so this is my very first book that's been published but you know I've written other manuscripts where the heat level is sometimes really high sometimes just more like a hallmark movie amount of heat and um this book however these characters really guided the heat level because it's an enemies to lovers which is my favorite trope i love enemies to lovers and enemies to lovers really in my opinion leads to really good banter because they hate each other but really they also have the hots for each other and so you know it's one of those I hate you because I can't have you kind of thing. Yeah. And so I think it just leads to like that really delicious tension where you're just like, oh, they want each other so bad. They want a bone, but they're not going to, neither of them wants to give in, right? As far as <clears throat> writing the intimate scenes, however, um, oh my gosh, I that's like the thing that like makes me like want to cover my face the most is like thinking about people reading those scenes especially my mom and dad um as you probably saw I dedicated the book to my parents um because they've been huge supporters of my writing my whole life and when I told them that I was getting published they were so excited and my mom has me on speakerphone and my dad's listening in and I tell them and they're just like you know just ecstatic about it and then the next time I talked to and I had told them like they, they knew I was writing romance but up until that point I hadn't published anything so I could write as sexy of a book as I want and my parents would exactly read it right and so when I wrote Raiders I told them now you guys just FYI you know I write romance, and it is pretty steamy, so I just want you to know that. Next time I talk to them, we're talking about the book again, and I feel the need to tell them this again, um, probably because, like, my mom works at a convent, so, you know, I'm very, like, sensitive to that, and my dad says, well, be honest, is your book too spicy for us? And I, <laughs> my mom just says, Oh, I've watched Bridgerton. I think I can handle it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like, so that's why I dedicated the book to them and why it says, I hope it's not too spicy. But even now, I just talked to my mom the other day and she's waiting until January to read it because she wants to wait until after the holidays because it's just too hectic and she just, she wants to be able to focus on it. I'm just like, oh my God, my mom and dad <laughs> are going to read this. Um. But then, like, I remember they're adults. Obviously, they know what they're doing. So, you know, like, it's just this idea that, you know, you think that you have to protect your parents or parents feel they have to protect their kids. But, you know, we're all adults. So um, I have, I've been getting over it. It still is something that I think about. Like, I'll be thinking about all January. <laughs> Until you hear back from them. I, I told her, I was like, you know, you don't have to tell me when you're done reading it. You don't have to tell me what you thought. Just, no, I'm gonna. And I'm like, she's like, I know I'll like it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but like, 
Thanks, guys. Yeah, my favorite, uh, some of my favorite um, dedications are to mom and dad, please don't read chapter whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's it's true. Like, obviously, if they have children, I know they know they know what happens. I know. But there's still that. Well, this is kind of awkward. So I was like, I have to ask that question. I got to ask. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, now you sold Raiders in a two book deal. So where are you in the process of the second book? I'm very interested. So I'm currently editing. Um, I was working on it today. Um, it is another archaeological adventure romance. Um, you will likely see some familiar faces, but also some new faces. Uh, and um, I'm not allowed to say too much yet. But yeah, don't get in trouble. I won't get I won't get in trouble. <laughs> they might not listen to this, so you know, they won't even know. They won't um, know. But if you read Raiders, then there might be some connection. I'll just say that. How about that? That works. And my mind is already going and going through all of the stuff in Raiders. So I'm very excited for when you kind of announce that. And now you only not you only you wrote Raiders originally during like you said the NaNoWriMo Mm -hmm. um, a couple of years ago I believe right yes so how has it been working on a manuscript now that you're officially under contract as opposed to before when you weren't well it's very different at least for me I mean for other people it might not be but because I up until this point have not been much of a plotter um it's been a big change because once you're under contract, you know, they have to approve what you're writing. And so before I could start working on book two, I had to send, you know, a whole synopsis and three sample chapters. So, you know, normally I just kind of let my mind do what it wants. Like literally the first scene that I thought of for Raiders is something that happens halfway through the book. Um, and so all the beginning stuff that just came out when I sat down during NaNoWriMo. Um, but this time I had to write, essentially I had to figure out all the major plot points of the book. And, uh, that was a new experience for me. I've mostly stayed true to that outline, but it's changed a little bit, um, with their approval. I got their approval. Uh, but that type of process has been different. I do like, however, how collaborative it is because, you know, there are some things where I sent the draft to my editors and they wrote back and said, you know, we want you to rework this part. And, but they left it up to me to decide how I wanted to rework those things. And so, you know, we did a little bit of an exchange, like where I sent back you know, an email saying, well, what if I do this? And, you know, they come back with their thoughts on, you know, whatever that thing was too. Um, So that's been different because normally I'm just writing by myself in my little writing cave. And, you know, every now and then I'll like ask one of my writing friends for, you know, a a suggestion, but for the most part, it's just me. Um, But now, you know, I have that team that's working with me. really wanting to make it the best book possible. Now, 
I do have a question. So when, before you submitted it and you were going through the drafting process originally, what was it, like, what was your process like in terms of drafting and in terms of like beta readers? Like, did you have a group of people that you knew um, that were also writers that you said, hey, can you please read this and give me feedback? Did you just get it to a point where you yourself felt comfortable with the you know, the manuscript and you really didn't have anyone take a look at it? Like, what was that process like? For writers specifically? Um, so I've got a group of friends who are all writers where we talk about writing a lot, but one person in particular who is like my main critique partner, uh, Jen Comfort, who is, she's great. If you haven't read her books, check her books out. They're so good. Her next book is called What is Love? And it's coming out in April. Mm-hmm. And I love that book so much. It's a Jeopardy enemies, Jeopardy inspired enemies nice. rom-com. It's so good. It's so funny. You'll love it. Um, but she's the main person who um, is my critique partner. And so, you know, I drafted Raiders, most of it during NaNoWriMo, spent a couple months after that, you know, fine tuning and finishing it up. And I had her read it. And then I um, saw there was a Pitmad coming up on Twitter, which is one of their, they don't do them anymore, but one of the pitch events where you can pitch to agents and editors who are looking to acquire using the, the hashtags. And I literally just finished my edits. I still had my other manuscript out there, you know, in query land where you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And I I had barely finished editing after getting Jen's feedback. And I was like, I'm just going to pitch this one on Twitter and see what happens. And um, it literally, like, the, the next day was this pit mad. I pitched it. My now agent, she actually had my other manuscript already. And she says, well, this sounds interesting, too. And so the next day, she contacted me wanting to have a call. Um, but Jen was the only one who had read it up until I got my agent and then she read it and then we sent it off. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's really important to find someone who gives you the kind of feedback that you need. Sometimes you want a beta reader just to tell you all the things that they liked. Sometimes you want someone who can like point out like craft issues. Um, sometimes you want someone who has a mix of both and, you know, you just really had to find the right person for you because not everybody's feedback is necessarily going to work for you. Um, but once you find that person, it it's perfect. Okay. So let's transition to our closing questions and you can be, your answers can be as short or as long as you want for these. So what is your favorite genre to read? And when I mean favorite, I mean, if you could only read one genre for the rest of your life, what would it be? Romance. Now, what kind of romance? Are you like a historical person? Do you like the contemporary? Do you like rom-com? What kind of romance do you like? I'm a contemporary romance person, which I feel like rom-coms fit in there. They do, Um, yeah. So I'm going to say contemporary so that I can maybe cheat and get both. And get both. (laughs) Yeah. What is your all-time favorite romance book? Oh, Before We Were Strangers by Renee Carlino. I don't think I've read I don't think I've heard of that one. What was it called? Before We Were Strangers. It's a second chance romance about a couple that meets in 
college. That book just always, it always sits with me. This is not me writing down more recommendations. Like I need more books to freaking buy and read. Oh my God, I already have so many. Anyways, so if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be? I would probably try fake dating. Um, even though, does fake dating ever happen in the real world? Because I feel like that's something that would never actually happen in the real world. But I think that would be fun to write. I also would really like to write like a best friends to lovers. And I do have a best friends to lovers idea swirling in my head that I think I'll probably write when I'm done writing book two. Um, but we'll see. I like, I'm very picky on my best friends to lovers. Like it has to be done really well, but if it is done really well, they're fantastic. And I have utter faith that yours will be fantastic. So I can't wait for maybe book three we'll go with maybe book three or four <laughs> well i love i love banter like and yeah. like i said with like enemies to lovers i just think it gives you a lot of banter so you know i have an idea about these best friends who still have all that banter because they have all their years and years of knowing each other and all their annoyances and stuff so i think i i think i can make you happy that makes me very happy that you said that because that's exactly how it happens. My boyfriend and I, we were best friends for five years before we started dating mm -hmm. and we've been together 11 years now, 11 and a half. Mm -hmm. And so that, and like I said earlier, that banter and that kind of sarcastic, you know, mm -hmm. if we were in public and people heard us talking about this, they would probably think we were assholes, but we're <laughs> really not. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that kind of banter yeah. is just, mwah. Oh my God. Yep. I'm just, I love it every single yep. time it happens. So I'm very excited for that future book that mm -hmm. you haven't written. I'll just leave it at that. But it's swirling. It's swirling. It's swirling. <laughs> yeah. I like it. So what are you currently reading and what is on your list uh, next? So I'm not actually reading anything right now because I'm so focused on finishing my edits. It's really hard for me to read while I'm doing that. But what's up next is um, I'm going to be reading... Love and Other Conspiracies by Mallory Marlowe. That's coming out uh, next year. Um, that's on my TBR. And I'm really looking forward to Jenny Howe's On the Plus Side, which is coming out, I think, I think it's coming out next week. Or is it this week or next week? It's coming it's out like... in December. I can't remember what day, but I'm looking forward to that. It's fantastic. I love her. Yeah, I love her I and I love I love on the plus side. It's really, it's really good. Um, I highly recommend reading that. I'm very excited for love and conspiracy theories. Love and love and other conspiracies. Other conspiracy theories. I keep seeing that uh oh my goodness, the cover on yes, social media. So and I'm I love it so much. I'm so excited for that one. So when you read that one, you'll have to announce how it was. I need to know. Okay. Now, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've received in regards to your writing? Probably just to write and not to go back and edit while you're writing. Um, you know, I think a lot of writers have this tendency to want to write like the perfect sentence, especially new writers. But it just bogs you down. That's why I like NaNoWriMo is because it kind of forces you just to get the words down as ugly as they might be um, because if you sit there and craft the perfect sentence then 
you're just never gonna you're never gonna finish NaNoWriMo. You just won't have time. Um, so that, and also that not every sentence has to be beautiful and wonderful. I mean, think of how many books you've read. Not every sentence is gonna be like this literary masterpiece. That type of writing would actually be very tiresome to read. And so sometimes you just gotta get the sentence down. You gotta get the thought out. It's fine if it's just a sentence. It doesn't need to be the best sentence in the world. And that's something I I struggle with um, when I write is I want it to not be shit mm -hmm. <laughs> like, is the best way to say it. But again, it's not it's not about that. It's about that first draft is about getting those words on that paper. And I learned that the hard way with the, with the book I just finished writing. Um, and it's one thing I heard I don't know where I heard it, but it's like, if you are a debut author, you know, or you're writing your first manuscript and it's that first draft, like you can't compare that draft to a book that has been through several rounds of professional edits mm -hmm. by actual professional editors. Like it's not, and like, you can't compare yourself and it may take you years and years and years to get your manuscript to that point without that help. And so it's, that was kind of nice to hear that like even though we want to get our books to that level, especially that first draft, like you can't you can't compare the two. They're not totally. the same thing. Totally. I mean, even with my book too, you know, some of it was like, oh, I'm not quite sure how to address this, but I have a team now that can help me work through that. You know, I didn't have that before. And so when you're a debut or, you know, before you publish, you always think that you have to have it perfect in that, you know. Well, because, you know, all these books back here, they're all perfect. Well, they're perfect because they were edited. Like, I mean, how many authors don't edit at all? I think zero. Yeah, that, that makes me happy. It gives me a little bit of hope. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you weren't an author and you could do anything for work, money, experience, education, none of that matters, what would you do? Um... I would work at Trader Joe's. Nice. <laughs> my dream job. Nice. I feel like the people who work at Trader Joe's are so happy. Like, I, you think that I'm kidding, but I talk about this all the time. Um, my day job is very stressful and, you know, I like my, my day job, but it's not my dream job. I would love to be a full-time author, but I do have this, this uh, vision that someday I'll be a full-time author who can also work at Trader Joe's. <laughs> it's amazing. I love Trader Joe's. So I, do too. I get it. it I, I just feel it. like that would be really fun. I would also, um, I'd love to work at like a bookstore or work at like, like, I don't know, libraries. I just, I love being around books. So that would be really fun. Um, yeah. Or an archaeologist, of course, but. I like the Trader Joe's one though. Right. I can tell that you've thought about it and you I, like you know why you would pick that. Ask ask any of my friends, ask my husband. I literally talk about this all the time. One time he and I, we my husband and I were talking and I said that he should get a job at Costco. So here it's a really great place to work. And he says, Well, what about Trader Joe's? So I said, No, 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 no. Trader Joe's is mine. <laughs> That's mine, dude. 
that's fine. <laughs> we can't work together. So like that, no, we don't need to work together, but you work at Costco. I get Trader Joe's. I always tell uh, my boyfriend, cause his mom is retired. Um, like when we go to a restaurant, you know, and they have good salsa or whatever, I'm like, you need to tell your mom she needs to get a part-time job here so she can learn how to make whatever it is and then teach me and then she yes. can quit. But like, I need to know how to make this. Okay. So we've actually had this exact same discussion too. We live in Seattle area and there's this restaurant called Agua Verde and one of their salsas, all their salsas are good, but one of them, the Diablo salsa is amazing. I have tried to recreate this salsa. I can't figure it out. And so I told my husband, you should get a job at Agua Verde. So yeah. you can learn how to make this salsa. And that then, makes me so happy. Right? I like, I need to know how to make this salsa. I also came up with this idea. I was like, I should pretend that I have a food allergy and that I need to know every single ingredient in the salsa. So that, that is actually brilliant. Right? Right? That is diabolically brilliant. And I, I... Oh, and it's called the Diablo. So Diablo, diabolical. Oh, that's, hey, that wasn't even on purpose. That's I, fantastic, I though. Mean, it's not a bad idea. I felt, I feel like it's, you know, maybe not the nicest thing to do. So I haven't actually <laughs> tried that. Yeah. But I in, need in to theory. Know, I need to know how they make that salsa. And it makes me laugh that you said about the salsa because I live in central California and we have really good Mexican food in California, especially in the central Valley. And there is a Mexican restaurant that we go to. It's called Sal's and same thing. It's their freaking salsa. And I love it. And whenever I tell him, you know, Hey, your mom needs to get a part-time job here for like two weeks. It's always at Mexican food restaurants. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, like, there's just something about them where the food that they make is so freaking good. And I can, yeah, I can never recreate it, but that makes me happy that yours is also Mexican food. <laughs> it's I, a salsa. I feel like I make a good salsa, but that salsa, again, there's something, they must put, I don't know, they must put something in it that's Some, something, <laughs> something that makes it good. Something that is just taking it up a notch. I'm very happy to know that we both have this. Yes. Because <laughs> honestly, I don't think I've met a single person, another person who has said that to me so that just makes me so incredibly happy that I am not alone I'm not the only person like, who thinks that way yeah we got something going on here right yeah. exactly yeah. we'll mm -hmm. talk later about salsa yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now if you could invite any person over for dinner dead or alive who would you invite Selena nice I love Selena you're all just... hands down didn't even hesitate I love it no it would be Selena now, if you can invite a fictional person over for dinner, who would you invite? It can be someone from your books. It could be someone from my books? Yeah. Ooh. Oh, man. I feel like Corey then, because she's just... She's so a badass. Cool. She's so cool. Like, she's, like, the person I would want to be. If I wasn't married, I'd say Ford. But, you know, I'm married, so probably shouldn't, you know. <laughs> might, might be a little awkward, but... Yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, where is a place you haven't visited that you would like to both domestically and internationally? Domestically, um, New Orleans. I feel like I love food. I'm a big food person and I love like Cajun cuisine, Creole 
cuisine. Um, and it's just, I love old buildings. I think it's probably why I'm really into things like archaeology. And so that's a place I would really like to go um, so that I could eat all the things and check out all the cool old buildings. Internationally, um, probably, I haven't been too many places internationally, um, but probably France or Spain or Portugal, one of the, like somewhere around there. I know they're all very different places, but I think I could do those all in one trip. So, you know. You probably could. That's one thing that, because I've been to Europe, I've been think I've been, I'm grateful enough to have been there a couple times um, with my dad, actually, because he's my favorite travel partner. And one thing that I feel like people don't realize is how close everything is. Like in the US, like in California, if I'm in LA or San Diego, it's going to take me freaking forever to get up to Washington. But, you know, over there, it's a couple hours here, a couple hours there, and you're in a completely different country. So yeah. you could totally do that in one uh, in one and trip. They've got such better transportation options too. They do. I mean, even just driving around the Seattle area, you go three miles and it's going to take you forty five minutes. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's that's how it is where I am too. So mm -hmm. I I get it. Yeah. Now, last question: What currently brings you joy? Um, so this is a really weird answer, but I really like those Target holiday birds. The, the little penguin things. I love, love those guys. And I, in my office at home, I decorate it for the holiday. And like, I've got a little Christmas tree with little Christmas lights and I've got all my cute little birds on the windowsill. And Every morning when I get up, it's still dark out because it's, you know, super dark this time of year. And I turn on my little Christmas lights and I look at my cute little birds and I just love it. And I know that's like kind of that like makes a, me happy. Like a little silly thing, but it makes me smile. It makes me smile. Now, are you talking about the ones I think they're like five bucks or whatever and they have like one of them's dressed as like a snowman? Yes, the one behind you. And I see, yes, I am obsessed with those guys. I have like seven of them downstairs. I I haven't seen that one. I mean, are those for this year? Or are those an older year? You know, this one, let's see. They have the years on them. This one's from 2021. This one is also 2021. This one's 2022. I literally have, okay, that's all the ones I have on this side of my office, but I have... I'm just going to do a quick count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen in my office. And I have the, it's it's kind of like an advent calendar, but it's not. It's only 12 days where they have these little teeny birds in it. I've got that hanging and it's in a Christmas tree. I've got that hanging in the other corner. I'd show you, but it's such a mess over by my computer. <laughs> um they're just so cute and they make me really happy. I have too many probably. So I probably need to, I'm now I'm at the point where it's like, I don't buy all of them. I used to buy them all when they'd come out. Now I only buy them when they are really cute. But, but I mean, 
they're adorable. I'm obsessed with them. Yeah. Like, oh my God. They're freaking adorable. Right. I just, I can't, I can't with them. They're just too cute. Anyway, That that makes me happy. I would like to know what makes you happy. Well, right now I'm thinking about those birds because I have them all downstairs and I buy them every year. And like, I've gotten to the point where I buy like the Halloween ones because I want them in my house. And my boyfriend's like, why are you buying these birds? Like, you don't, you're not a bird person. Like, why? And I'm like, I can't explain it. They're just freaking cute. And I need them all. I don't like bird birds. Like, yeah, I'm not a bird person. Yeah dislike birds yeah like I'm a bird person like I don't go bird watching or anything yeah but these target birds are so cute cute ah they really are that makes me happy we're gonna talk about these birds and salsa Salsa. we're we're gonna have we're gonna have a deeper conversation about this (laughs) Mm -hmm. well thank you so much Joe for being here it was such a joy to talk with you and honestly I am honored and congratulations on your debut it is freaking fantastic and like i said i'm obsessed with it so thank you so much and congratulations thank you well that's it for this episode i hope you enjoyed it and before i sign off i just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to tune in if you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements please subscribe or follow me at the real bookish writer or at the well-read podcast on instagram thank you again for listening and have a magical day see you next week